Hello and welcome, dear listeners, to Biopod. I am Christian Donohoe, and today we'll be speaking to Jade Blue, a fourth-year PhD student who, over the summer of 2020, helped to organise and connect black botanists across social media using the hashtag BlackBotanistWeek. During this episode, we'll be looking into her research journey thus far, what it's like to be black in botany, and how to use social media as a PhD. Afterwards, we have Hazel discussing the decolonization of botanical collections such as Kew Gardens. Welcome to the podcast, Jade. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, it's a lovely day, isn't it? We're sat outside, two yeah. metres apart. It's very, it's very nice, yeah. very sunny. Uh, this is recorded over lockdown, but thankfully not over Zoom or anything like that. Well, let's get to the meat of things. You're, so you're a botanist. Uh, what does botany entail? Um, so I guess botany is the study of plants, so this could be in a more... Um, formal academic setting but it also ranges to like from like molecular biologist, ecologist, horticulturalist but also I think it encompasses anybody who studies plants in not necessarily the traditional sense so for example if you have an allotment and you grow your own vegetables and fruit you study plants in a way because you have to know how they grow. (laughs) Oh lovely so everyone who does gardening is in their own way botanist? In my opinion yes I'm some people I guess may say no but I I think anyone who loves plants can be considered a botanist. So how many houseplants do you need to own to be able to call yourself a botanist? Um, I'd say you only need one. As if we're keeping it alive, I feel like the obsession then grows anyway, so... <laughs> how many do you own? Um, I'd say I'm almost at 40 now. 40? <laughs> yes. Oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> That's not including the ones I've like propagated, so there's like little versions of the, oh. <laughs> the ones. I think you might count as a botanical collection by yourself at that point. Quite possibly. Also, also just curious, at what point does botany become carpentry? Like, like what's the line there? Like, I so you know, like I assume botany does have plant, plant have to be alive or? Oh, that's a very good point. I guess I'd never really thought about that, but mm. oh well, I guess no, because by the time, for example, I start to work with my plants, they're no like in the lab, they're no longer alive. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so what are you so you mentioned you're working in a lab. What yes. are you working on at the moment? Um, so I work on how plants using the um, model organism Arabidopsis, um, which is just like a little weed that you can find growing within your in your pavements. Um, I study how plants respond to environmental stresses. So I particularly look at um, highly reactive molecules that are produced in response to stress. So it's quite a generic response. Um, or quite a common response and I look at how plants utilise these molecules as signalling tools and how specific they can be or how general the okay. signal can be. So when you talk about stress are you talking about like physical stress like you've got a, pe- a thesis coming up or? <laughs> so um, we look at um, stresses such as um, abiotic stresses so this can be like light stress for example or also biotic stresses such as diseases. Okay. Okay. So, botanic living. Yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. So, you're now a fourth year. Yes, I just freshly, done, freshly as of I guess had my annual review yesterday. So, as of yeah. today. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so you're basically finished, right? Like you know, like pop on a few experiments, a few lines of the thesis, tick. Now you're Doctor Blue. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this year is going to be very, very busy, but hopefully worth it at the end. You seem in good spirits now. Yes, speak to me in maybe six months. <laughs> we'll do, we'll do. Yeah. So, what did you do before your PhD? 
Um, so I started my undergraduate degree at the University of Leeds, which was in um, just general biology. But I, my kind of like fascination with plants developed. So I started picking more and more plant science courses. Um, and then also did a few summer placements, including um, one at Kew Gardens, where I got to work in the tropical greenhouse with palm trees, which lovely. was a lovely place to spend the summer. And um, then I did, oh yeah, and during that time as well, I did my undergraduate project, which was looking at, um, uh, what's it called? Res plant responses, particularly in potatoes, in response to nematode and aphid infection, which was quite cool. Uh, then I did my master's, which was, at the University of Sheffield, but I did my, it was a research master, so I did my project in industry in the Netherlands, which lasted about eight months, Ooh, very which nice. was quite cool. So I got to experience life in a vegetable breeding company, which was very, very interesting. And abroad as well. And abroad, which was very nice. It's a very, very chill place to live. You managed to do quite a lot before your PhD. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I tried to fit in lots of things just to kind of see get experience to see what I would want to do and the kind of things I would want to study and research so it's very useful I think. Well, how has your journey which has gone for a wide variety of places shaped your views on research? Um, I think it's helped me so when I was at Leeds I did a lot of plant science courses and they ranged from more um, fundamental biology like I did a course that was called how plants work so it was very it was quite molecular based and then I moved on to doing courses in my final year. One was called Sustainable Food Production. And that kind of put it into perspective that the research you do at a molecular, maybe fundamental level, can then have an impact in the field and I guess like in the world on a broader scale. So I think, and then doing my master's in more of an applied setting as well, I think that's kind of shaped my journey from the things that I'm interested in and looking at how we can apply our knowledge in the lab. Uh, so you've seen the whole picture from a yes. uh, concept to fruition. Yes, exactly. Yeah. One of the harder things it can be, like when you're looking at the stories in the papers, they say yeah. like this thing causes cancer, or we found, for example, yeah. uh, the most recent case actually, uh, they say they found alien life on Venus. Ah, uh, yes. And <laughs> and it's a lovely story, but when yeah. you look through it, you read the paper, you look at the scientists, and they've discovered a uh, phosphine, which is. A, yeah. a factor of life and yeah. it's the experiment itself is fascinating how they're discovering signals from abroad yeah but it's, it's not from abroad, abroad. <laughs> <laughs> it's not full of play <laughs> it's very abroad let's say yeah. Uh, but yeah they're discovering so the design of that experiment to how it impacts uh, the, the newspaper doesn't give you that and you've yeah. discovered that through the placements you've done yeah it was yeah it's been very useful yeah for my masters it was based on um, kind of research that was done in the lab in Sheffield and they wanted to see how they could apply it to crops and make it useful for like um, industry and commercial use which was very interesting to see it the whole way through. I guess also with plant sciences you sometimes get to literally see your work grow in front of you. Exactly oh it's very enjoyable I think going into the growth room for me anyway is more exciting than opening an incubator with smelly bacteria See, <laughs> I, to each their own. I love opening a smelly reactor and seeing a freshly crystallised product inside. Chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, throughout your time, have you had any personal inspirations? Anyone who you've really aspired to be like, interested in their career or anything like that in botany? Or even further afield? Um, so I've had kind of, I guess, scientists that whose work I've read while I've been studying that have inspired me. I'd say... When, when I think about this question more recently, I guess the people that I have been working with in Black Botanist Week, I would say they are quite inspirational. Like they're all doing a range of different things and they're just all very cool people who are like 
also spending their time getting the word out about how great botany is. Yeah. We're going to get. Thankfully, we're going to yeah. get into that at the moment. Uh, yeah. Uh, I was. If you'd said no one, I would have asked. Uh, yeah. do, do you inspire yourself? Do I inspire which, myself? Which seems to be a thing a lot of people on podcasts say when they talk about I inspirations. Ins- I inspire myself yeah, um, every day. I guess it's very like I don't know positive reinforcement of yourself. I guess I don't know. I'd never thought about it. I mean, you can be proud of how far you've yeah. gone. Most certainly. Yeah, like I'm proud of like the work I've done and how far I've come. I guess in my short scientific career so far, but yeah, so maybe yes, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like, I don't know. Sorry, that was a bit of a mean question. Uh, you mentioned uh, so you, you the people you connected with in Black Botanist Week. Yes. Uh, beforehand, have you worked with many other black scholars? Um, no, not until I started my PhD with my supervisor. Other than that, I mean, at school I had black teachers, but other than that at university, there weren't many... I don't think I had any black lecturers while I was doing my undergrad. There weren't many bla- other black students. When I was doing my masters, it was the same. And yeah, it was yeah not until I got here and I worked with Stephen, I would say. Okay, so who is your supervisor? So my supervisor is Stephen Spall. Um, <laughs> he's the recently made professor, head of our institute. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> he's also my head of institute, I should point yeah, out. <laughs> yeah, he's done very well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh no, he's an absolutely lovely person. Like I remember my first my, my first day here, where there was a social drink. So he made he he seems to make sure to speak to everybody new in the department, which is lovely. Yeah, no, he is he is very good, very good supervisor, very good when you need help and have questions, which I have learning. <laughs> so. Hopefully, yes. Uh, do do you uh, was that so? How did you find that? As he said, it's the first time you've worked for yes. uh, or worked with. Do you find representation important? Like, would that have shaped your your where you want to work or yeah, where you want I to be? Think I guess I personally am very lucky in the sense that I very rarely had anybody say, like when I was saying, oh, I wanted to do a PhD or I want to do plant science, nobody said no. Like, what? You can't do that. But I think whether it's consciously or subconsciously, representation is important because when you see someone who looks like you or comes from a similar black background to you, you kind of see yourself in that setting and you relax a bit more. So then when you are in that setting you don't feel like on guard or you can relax and be yourself and then can be a bit more creative and you're when you're having these conversations the ideas can flow a bit more so i think things like that are are very important well, yeah. lovely well put thanks <laughs> okay so let's talk about uh the main reason we're here yes. black in botany yes. so what was this what was it all about um so black botanist week was it, so it followed on from the hashtag Black Birders Week, um, which was very successful, and it kind of brought together the birding community, whether you were in an academic setting or not. And I think a lot, many birders are also interested in plants. Obviously, birds live outdoors. <laughs> and, and I think what happened was that, so that I guess the original founder, Tanisha Williams, she saw how great Black Botanist, um, Black Birders Week was, and she was also. In, um, what's called following that so she kind of sent a tweet out and was just like oh who would be interested in a black botanist week because it would be great and then I just replied like yes this would be amazing and the idea of it is to bring together black people who love plants so it could be people who study plants are plant scientists or it could be people who grow plants just in their gardens have allotments and it ranges just yeah black people who love plants just in general and to bring 
kind of awareness to the community and broaden the community and bring people in contact with each other. Okay, so how did how did that go then? How, so what was so what did you do in that? So you said it's a whole week. So yes. what did you do on like each day and how how did it turn out? Um, so we had a schedule for the week. Um, every week was a different um, theme. So you had first day was like introducing yourself. What do you do? Um, kind of why are you a botanist? On Twitter. On yeah. Tw- oh, yeah. Yeah. On, I realise we haven't mentioned this yet. Yes, Twitter. Sorry. It was on Twitter <laughs> and Instagram. Um, yeah. I'd say I'm more on Twitter than I am on Instagram. So for me, I mainly participated through Twitter. Um, but it was also quite big on Instagram as well. Um, so it involved with yeah, get, introducing yourself. But it also like later down the week involves kind of your plant love story. Like what got you into botany? Why it's important to have diversity in botany? Um, plant appreciation it was just a range of different things where different people can get involved to say there's no kind of I don't know you can't put botanist botany in one category like the people in botany are diverse as are the plants themselves yeah. um, what did you what do you think you got out of it and yourself so you said you got involved and what were you doing and what did you think you got out of it and um, so I was involved so I am on the committee there's 12 of us in total from around the world so it's like um, including the United States I'm the only person currently on the committee from the UK and also there are two in South Africa um, and we kind of got together over a few meetings and thought what do we want to bring to the week how do we want the week to look like um, Huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so yeah, like what? How did you? So what were you doing? As so you mentioned, you got involved. Uh, what did you do for that? And yeah. what did you get out of it yourself across the week? Okay. So yeah. So I was involved in kind of um, setting up what the week was. I got involved in each of the hashtags every day to kind of I don't know. It was just fun to be a participant as well, really. But also <laughs> to what to see how many other black botanists there are around the world that I was quite surprised as for example the majority of the committee are um, based in the US so I was quite surprised at how international it got and which I thought it was great like I I guess met kind of through Twitter other um, black British botanists who I'd never come into contact with before and it kind of just built the community and built the network and I think lots of people met each other through it, which I thought was quite nice. I guess that's quite nice because you organise it, watching other people connect and yeah. realising like then, well, there's other people like them all over. Exactly. And working the same things. Hopefully, some scientific collaborations. Yeah. Friendships. Was, yeah. It was. Yeah. It was interesting seeing people like when I kind of introduced my botanical story and what I was working on at the moment. People replied like, "Oh, like I work on a similar thing, or we have similar interests." So it'd be good to know that kind of like oh okay like this person works on something similar maybe they might know something that I'm struggling with at the moment just to kind of build the networks that scientists have already but just make them bigger and make them more diverse. Excellent. So if you were younger and you had Twitter would this be the sort of thing you'd be interested in or be reading up on? Yeah definitely so I think if I was even before my undergrad if I was interested in plant science but I was like I don't really know what it is and I don't know anyone who's doing it specifically is you're more like a first generation um, university student or postgraduate student I think see, um, I, I am yeah neither of my parents went to university there are other um, members of my extended family who did but yeah. nobody so far has done a PhD so it's yeah <laughs> you don't really know how to navigate and you don't know which questions to ask and you don't know who to ask 
So I think it's good to see that there's such a big group of people who are open to talking and sharing the experience of what it's like to be a plant scientist or be a botanist. But I say, imagine your parents knew much, as much about your project as you did. Like, I feel like that would be like another level <laughs> that of stress. Be, I think, oh yeah, in, sometimes yeah, when I explain to my parents, like I recently was at home and I was talking to my dad just about like, it's stressful going into your last year and his response was just like, but you chose to do it. That was it, it was <laughs> Yeah, so, and it's kind of like, it's still like, oh, do you, have, do you have lots of homework to do? So it's, yeah, it's very... Oh. So, so I think in my mind it would be useful but then it would be a lot of stress because sometimes when you just want to switch off and talk about rubbish they want to know the in-depth questions about your PhD That's quite, I do find like explaining my work to them means I can explain it much better yeah. obviously they won't have as much knowledge yeah. I do get a response of how are your friends doing or yeah. have you tried working harder yeah, <laughs> it just, hard, just, yeah. what does that mean <laughs> I know the worst one it, when I if I speak to my parents I'm like oh this isn't working they're like oh my god does that mean you're going to like fail I'm just like, well, no <laughs> that's, not, that's not how it works <laughs> that's the worst question I know <laughs> Yeah, but it's interesting because I have a 14-year-old sister, so explaining Ooh. my work to her kind of helps explain it to other people. Well, what's she planning on doing? Um, she, oh, so she's very, very clever and she's very good at science, but she doesn't want to follow the scientific route. That sounds like she's smarter than you. Quite possibly, yeah. I think she's <laughs> learning. <laughs> but I have an even younger brother who is um, six, and I'm convinced he's going to be an entomologist, which I'll be very happy Yes. <laughs> uh, I could you explain that entomologist? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's the study of insects. <laughs> um, okay. So he, yeah, have you, have you taught him that word yet? No, I don't think he could pronounce it properly. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. Okay, excellent. So one last question about black and botany. Um, my production team has asked me to phrase it like this. Yeah. Uh, how can you make this event bigger and badder next year? Bigger and badder. Not my words. Year. Please don't judge me. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, I'd say it was quite big already. Yeah. Um, like in the, like I was reading articles about Black Bot- Black Boston this week, and the hashtag was used over three thousand times in the first day. Ooh, so excellent. I think maybe now that um, it's well, so we'd like it to be an annual thing, or the week itself to be an annual thing. But it's an ongoing project, so we want to. Lots of people are giving talks. They're um, giving interviews. They're bringing, yeah, like this, they're bringing awareness to the week in general. So I guess you're just spreading the word and getting even more people involved. Maybe eventually somehow using this, like, I guess kind of, it's not like a, I guess, organisation, but eventually using it to kind of help other black botanists who might not have um, access to resources as much as other people do that kind of thing just yeah not having support systems or in your case having a direct mentor as well exactly just people that you know you can talk to just to make the community a a nice not that it's not nice already but a nicer (laughs) a nicer place I say the ball's really got rolling on the black in subject yes. matter because I mean there's black and I mean I've been paying attention to the chemistry ones mainly yes. but black and chemistry black and organic chemistry mm-hmm. uh, I think it's black and psychom as of recently so yeah, it's been, really been a phenomenon yeah so it was interesting actually because when we were talking about black botanist week we were trying to think oh when when should we have it and we were like oh but we could have it next week and then we realised how much work goes into it like organising <laughs> something like this but 
I think now like they're being scheduled all the way into November because there are so many coming out now yeah that, and I think I think it's great I think one of the good things particularly about the black in nature type yeah. ones is that you bring in people who aren't necessarily from an academic or industrial environment like it is just people in general who black people in general who love the outdoors but I I think all the all the black botanists we have been great they they are they're very very wholesome very supportive Aww. quite like a big hug very nice <laughs> not in these days <laughs> yeah not yeah like closest virtual, we get to exactly, these days the closest we get to a hug <laughs> one thing i'm quite liking is like it's been really organized as well like i've only ever been seeing like one hashtag per week as well so yeah been, everyone's been working together lovely on this yeah i think it's been been quite well planned now with um so it's not centralized or anything but i think yeah people are organizing them further in advance in order to prevent any clashes and then you just kind of like put the oh this is happening this week so it's like save the day i guess yeah and then yeah so it's it's surprising that the clashes haven't been quite common but yeah, but good also as uh, from the outside it seemed very impressive yes it is it's quite um it's very very fun but also quite exhausting <laughs> as in like just because you spent I spent hours just staring at Twitter just watching notifications and watching and all the tweets isn't that just a normal day? I can't say this Okay. we can cut parts if we have to no it's but, okay uh, yeah. so talking about social media uh, why do you use it? so Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn uh What's the old ones? Yeah. MySpace, MSN. MySpace at Bebo. Just <laughs> <laughs> makes me feel old. But um, <laughs> no, I think it's good for me. So I started. I actually started using it because I noticed that um, journals were posting very recent papers. So I was like, oh, okay. And also, um, like preprints, like BioArchive, that they post a lot on um, Twitter. So I, for me, it was a great way to keep just keep up to date with the plant science literature and um, but then I started like following labs that work in similar areas or um, scientists whose work I'm interested in and like people like PhD students who are in those labs and yeah. postdocs who are early career researchers who are in those labs and it just I don't know it's a good way to kind of realize you're not alone everyone's thinking the same things and going through very similar stresses <laughs> so when you feel like oh my god how have i done this someone will tweet that they've done the same thing and so it's just a good way to connect with people really yeah. well so yeah i would say i, I mean i personally use twitter for quite academic purposes yeah mainly to think if i've had an experiment blow up my face i look at it and it turns out that's happened to most people that Ex- day exactly and that's quite relaxing yeah it's like okay it's not only me people have been doing this for years years and years and years what benefits or downsides do you think it gives to yourself or your work as well because you mentioned yeah. you say bio archive so you're actually reading up papers possibly yeah. things you wouldn't have read before yeah no exactly so i think the benefits the benefits are great like you get into contact with so many people and you you learn a lot more than you would without it I think because I think especially when you you're working on such a specific area you end up kind of forgetting about the bigger picture so when you read a bit more outside of your field or follow people on Twitter or Instagram outside of your field it kind of broadens your perspective and gives you ideas that you wouldn't necessarily have had before downsides I guess I luckily haven't experienced this, but you do get like people online who aren't very nice. Uh, yeah. Um, but also, 
you end up spending the whole day on Twitter. (laughs) So when you should be writing, (laughs) you end up... I mean, not. <laughs> you're writing 140 characters at a time. You can tell your supervisor you, you have been writing. Just yeah, I have been writing. Just don't thesis. specify <laughs> So, one thing I should ask, because now you're in like the thousands of followers, would oh, you gosh. call yourself an influencer? And... No, no, I would not. <laughs> no. Yeah, it was it was weird. So, I, before Black Bottom this week, I had, I don't even know if I had 200 followers. Yeah. And then at the end, I now have over 2,000. And then when it first happened, it was like so many in one day. I was like, I suddenly <laughs> felt so exposed. <laughs> <laughs> or like, like at the beach and suddenly a bit of people turn up wash or change and stuff like that. Yeah, it was, it was a very weird feeling. Like it's, it's very lovely. And I've like followed, it's like, I guess, brought forward people who I now follow back. So it's very, very interesting. But it was a very, very weird feeling, but also very nice. Lovely. Yeah. Um, now you've got this, well, not fan base, followers. Fan base. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> it's the wrong word for Twitter. Now you've got these people who do read yeah. ostensibly your feed. Yeah. Uh, do you see yourself using social media to greater effect in the future? Um, possibly. I think I'd be, whereas before, maybe when post, posting about my work or what I'm doing, I'd be more hesitant because I'd be like, well, no one's going to see it. <laughs> so what is the point? <laughs> but now it's more. I'd post about it because people can see it they can give feedback they can maybe if they'd work on something similar they can also they might be interested who knows is there any added pressure like now people are going to see it you can't because I'm, I'm happy to post pictures of my messy lab work just to show like this is what I'm doing yeah but nowadays I'm, if I had like as many followers as you I think probably should tidy up a bit so messy lab bench I probably wouldn't tidy up because that I just am a messy person <laughs> I was like it's organised mess I know where something is if it's in the specific place even if it's amongst the mess there's a system exactly yeah. exactly but um, I think it makes me more hesitant when you go to tweet something you're like is this actually correct because you don't tweet something that's wrong and someone's like excuse me <laughs> you don't even know what you're talking about I mean there'll be plenty of people who go actually yeah there's so. always there's always a few but yeah so it just makes Okay, so to anyone who's hoping to get Twitter, get into getting social media, what recommendations could you give to any researchers looking to expand their social profile? Um, I guess what I would say is just interact with people on Twitter and and tweets in general. If you follow people who you're interested in and whose work you're interested in or people whose work you'd like to follow or just people you think are cool because eventually you might end up with thousands of followers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I should say, it's also fine to be a lurker on Twitter. Like, oh, It's 100%. absolutely fine to do that. I'm currently at the lurker level of followers. I, so. I am basically still a lurker. After Black Bottom <laughs> this week, I, I, I should be tweeting a lot more, but I think you just get sidetracked by so many things. I honestly do admire people who tweet every who tweet day. every day and just on top of all their work it's just it's incredible yeah. so, yeah, they're I, amazing <laughs> one of the things which put me off before I got into Twitter was thinking oh I have to post every day yeah. if I don't post people think I'm weird yeah. and that's not the case you can just you can treat it like a, a never ending book of well whatever you choose yeah. Ah. yeah this is true excellent so my last question for you have you seen or felt any progress across your research career um in terms of uh, I would say being being a a black researcher okay um i would say very small and very only i'd say over the last year in the sense that i think people 
are more willing to speak out against things that they don't agree with anymore rather than because if you are for example the only black person in a very white space if someone says something that you don't agree with you're hesitant to speak out because you you probably assume that everyone else agrees with that person and you don't really want to be the only person yeah who people possibly think you're just i don't know causing some kind of disruption for the sake of it rather than these are actually valid feelings and thoughts um but i think now because there is such a growing community of black researchers who are putting themselves out there a bit more i'm hoping that things will start to change excellent small steps small steps baby oh. steps but small steps are better than no steps yes. making a molehill into a mountain that's exactly. the best way I, I hope i think that works yes yeah <laughs> okay well excellent i believe that's all i have for you today okay, thank then. you jade for a compelling insight into what it means to be black in botany and for the tips on how to be an effective researcher online uh, over to you, Hazel. After we talked about science happening now, let me tell you something about the dark side of British botanical history and how botanists are gradually decolonizing the collections. If you are cold, Tea will warm you. If you are too hated, it will cool you. If you are depressed, it will cheer you. If you are excited, it will calm you. This pleasing extol of tea from William Gladstone gives us a glance and the popularity of this global drink. In Britain, the intricate history of tea is tied up with the rise and falls of the great empire. Around two centuries before Gladstone, Catherine of Braganza, as the wife of King Charles II, started to create a trend for the drink and the royal court, which ignites Britain's love for tea over centuries. As tea became increasingly fashionable, the East India Company gained extensively from its tea trade with China due to their ongoing monopoly of trade with the Indies. However, England's passion for tea was creating an immense debt of silver to China. And with the price of silver rising, traders saw a need to change how Britain traded with the country. On the political and economical side, Britain found an effective way of returning the vast amount of silver bullion that had been spent in purchasing tea, that is, by mixing opium with tobaccos, to increase the need of opium which was originally only used for medical purposes. Once the smoking began, it it significantly increases the demand for this highly addictive drug. This eventually leads to the Opium War, which as a Chinese would never the humiliating history being brought up, would touch the most sensitive string deep down my heart. On the other hand, from the perspective of a, bo of a botanist, it's not a lovely story either. 1793, 
The urge of growing tea trees pushed botanical gardeners join the missions of exploring China. Although most of the attempts failed, Robert Fortune, a Scottish botanist, engaged in a clandestine trip in 1848 into territories in China, which was forbidden to foreigners, and successfully brought back around 20,000 tea plants to Britain and the Royal Botanic Gardens all over the British colonies. After Fortune's trip and successful transplanting. Assam, which was locates which locates in the northeast part of India, soon proved to be a far more significant tea source. By 1890. India supplied 90% of Britain's domestic tea market. India paid a large price for this, however. Many coolies and elephants died when large forest areas were cleared to make space for plantation. While India itself was only allowed to keep 15% of plantation profits. Trained as a botanist. I've always admired those early plant hunter spirits, expanding the global collections and the erecting botanical gardens to preserve diverse plants, either as live collection or her- or herbarium specimens. Those courageous plant hunters, they face the threat of shipwreck, piracy, foreign diseases, and months of dreadful traveling on crabbed boats. Driven by naming those plants with their nominated names, or simply by the pleasure of seeing exotic plants in the wild, they might not expect in the expeditions to be intertwined with British imperialism and the expanding power of the empires. As I'm walking regularly down the area decorated with exotic plants in the Royal Botanic Garden, Edinburgh, such as Chinese hillside and Chilean path. It's hard not to be amazed by how comprehensive is the collection, and how well are those plants re- preserved. Around 500 non-rhododendron species are cultivated across the open hillside and the glasshouses, weaving vigorous branches and conspicuous flowers from chilly spring through the whole summer. Amid the greenery sits the Balfour Building, where most of the sciences are happening. It's pleased to witness that the plant collections, which were designed to serve the British Empire, now are open to the whole world. Similar to most of modern sciences. Botanical research researches are now happening across countries and even continents. Staff from the gardens are devoted now to widening access to our history by digitizing the vast collections of specimens, letters, books, and artifacts 
examining and updating the once Western-centric labels to suit the now global use. Those hundreds of rhododendron species, most of them came from Eastern Asia, now are feeding back to the science happening there in the form of historical information and genetic resources. In the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis, I feel quite disheartened to notice the trend of countries stepping backwards to seclusion or impart the power on others by monopolizing technology and turning back the clock on our centuries' efforts of cooperation. But in the face of climate change and population growth, the bigger challenges of safeguarding sustainable livelihood while protecting natural ecosystems across the globe will be more urgent when COVID crisis dies down. I strongly believe COVID will pass, globalization will surge, empaths will fall, humanity will last. Only by sharing knowledge and resource could we ever find out solutions to this long-term struggle. That's for this episode. I very much hope that we did some help to your well-being in this ongoing COVID-19 crisis. Thank you for listening and see you next time.